Shut up and sit down. Hey everyone, and welcome to One's Too Many, a podcast dedicated to helping veterans and first responders get through the struggles they might be facing internally or externally. Hear interviews with special guests and experts. So whether you're struggling with transition, depression, or even problems at work, we're here for you to give you actionable advice and examples of how you can get through them and succeed by those who have struggled too. I'm your host, Adam Salters, and thanks for listening. Carlos, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, thanks for thanks for having me on, Adam. So yeah, I went into the Marine Corps right out of right out of high school, uh, eighteen years old, and you know had a had a good time in there. Actually, got out and became a firefighter. I was a firefighter and paramedic for about seven years. It was nice uh, a nice job to transition into out of the Marine Corps. And about seven years in, man, I don't know, I, I something just kind of you know something told me I needed to do something a little bit different. And, you know, I, I had already experienced what it was like to see, you know, so many folks struggling in the military. Now I was watching the same thing happen with, with firefighters, right? This constant exposure to, to trauma and to, uh, and then just not getting the help afterwards. And so, you know, I thought to myself, you know, I can use both of these experiences now, very unique experiences to, to go out and do something about that. So I went back there, I went back to school and got my, my doctorate degree. Now I work with veterans, first responders, police, and, and things like that. Okay. What made you join the Marines? Well, a couple reasons. Uh, some some are pretty funny. One of the reasons was because I was actually born in Cuba. So my parents immigrated here when I was two. And there was this part of me that felt, you know, that I wanted to kind of repay the country for, you know, the freedom that we weren't able to get in, in my country. That was one of the reasons. I think... Another one was, believe it or not, I came out of high school thinking I wasn't really college material. Uh, <laughs> I had buddies that were applying to different, you know, different universities and stuff, mm-hmm. and I'm like, man, this this isn't for me. And then the other one is just, I don't know how much you know about marine recruiters, man, but they'll sell ice to an Eskimo. Ooh, I almost um, went that way. I feel you. Yeah, the, the cool videos and the posters and stuff. The uniform. And they, yeah, the <laughs> uniform, right? And they got me, man. So, so mm-hmm. a couple weeks after high school, I was in there. Okay. Oof. Yeah. And now look at you. Now you went through who knows how many but, years for the yeah, college. Yeah, so uh, two years of an associate's degree, another two years uh, of a bachelor's degree, and five years of a doctorate program. Oof. So, yeah, so much for not being college material. <laughs> right, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> oh, uh, what were you stationed? Where you in? Yeah, so I was I was mostly stationed out of uh, Camp Pendleton, mm-hmm. and then I, I did uh, some reserve time at a unit that was actually in Miami, in the Miami area, which is the unit I got activated with. It was a eight tank battalion. We were a, a tow gun platoon, mm-hmm. um, and so we spent about nine months out in Iraq. Came back, and I kind of had a decision then whether you know to get out or, or kind of stay in. And I felt at that time it was just kind of me for, you know, it was time for me to, to get out and, and do some different things. So the timing really worked out, uh, but it was an amazing time. You know, I think just, you know, the experiences you have, the people you meet, the places you go, I mean, it was just, there was nothing like it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Do you feel, do you feel like being in actually uh, changed you for the better? Oh man, Adam. Yes. In, in many ways, I, I would say so. I think, you know, at 18 years old, I, I needed I needed a little bit of discipline and direction mm-hmm. in my life, some structure. I understand, yeah, yeah, and yeah, I, I think it did a lot of good things for me in terms of the values that the Marine Corps instilled in me. Mm-hmm. Uh, this kind of you know never say die attitude about everything, right? So not mm-hmm. only in the Marine Corps, but now you know with my business, with the work that I do, you know, getting through school. You know the the integrity, all of that stuff. I, I think was was really amazing. If I'd have to, you know, if I if I'd have to do it all over again, I would. I definitely would. Okay. Did you ever have? A, uh, do you have a hard time when you were transitioning from the military into civilian life? I absolutely did, man. I had a really really hard time. Probably, I think there was a lot of factors that helped me specifically make the transition a little bit easier. So I'll talk about some of those factors and then I'll talk about, you know, some of the things that just made it really, really difficult. I think, you know, having gotten into a career again as a fireman, you know, that's kind of something very fast paced, you know, adrenaline type career 
really helped me transition because I didn't come back and have to go sit in a cubicle somewhere in front mm-hmm. of a computer, right? And also having this new kind of brotherhood, right? This this new kind of you know brotherhood, like you had in the Marine Corps, also kind of helped that uh, a little bit. I think the the part where it was challenging was it, it's it's. You know, sometimes even now, this many years, it's hard to put into words to explain to somebody, you know, what it is to go from living in, in absolute anxiety and, and fear some days because you're in combat to to what I refer to this world, this this life that's is just like muted, like everything's on mute. You come back and, you know, people don't look at you the same. I, I think that, you know, you, you expect to, that you're going to be treated and, and, and that people here are all around it's just different, man. It's different. I remember coming back and it's, it's just like, like you were in a completely different universe. Right. And no one's mm-hmm. talking about it anymore. And it's kind of, you know, in the back of people's minds and you're like, man, what, what's, what's going on here? So that, that makes it really challenging because here you were putting your life on the line here you do, you know, just doing all this crazy stuff and, and you get back and really it's part, it's partly like your identity is taken away from you. Mm-hmm. And so, so that made it really challenging. I also think that the depression got a hold of me pretty, pretty badly. And, you know, what I say now as a psychologist to help people understand depression is that it it works on a continuum, almost, you know, like, like, you know, pretty much any other mental health disorder, right? So, so you can have the person that's depressed that can't even get out of bed in the morning. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, and I've been there where I just couldn't find myself to get motivated to do anything and really just kind of lay in bed all day. Or it can be the kind of depression that's just this underlying like sadness that you can't feel anything in life is, is ma- making you feel motivated or making you feel good or content, mm-hmm. and then everything in between. So for me, my depression initially looked like just you know not being able to get myself out of bed for you know a couple of weeks at a time, and then you know finally I, I had to go. I, I tried to avoid it for a long time. But I said, man, I, I need to get help. I need mm-hmm. to get myself some help because I like I can't continue living like this. This, is, I mean, one of the worst places I've I've ever been. And so I went and I saw a psychiatrist and got you know got on some medication to kind of uh, get me to a better place where I can feel that I had some energy to you know start doing some things. Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm fully honest, that didn't make the depression go away fully. I think what my depression then looked like was going out and partying. You know, just trying to fill some some hole in my life whether through booze like you know being in and out of relationships mm-hmm. or just busting my behind working the entire time right it's, it's, it was kind of like this constant avoidance of something that was going on inside of me so again i worked up the courage to say you know what i think i'm going to go to therapy i got i got to figure out like what's going on within me like now my mind is in a stable place let me go find out what kind of underlying factors are contributing to you know, this thing that I'm doing to myself mm-hmm. uh, at the end of the day. So it, it was really hard for, for a while, but I think the most courageous thing that I was able to do was to admit to myself that I couldn't continue to do it by myself. Mm-hmm. So you think yeah. therapy, I know a lot of people, myself included, kind of avoid therapy. We'll talk about a little later, like the stigmatism involved, yeah. uh, especially yeah. once you get out with the military. But you right. think that really helped you? It, it, it is the thing that helped me. Mm-hmm. I mean, And it not only helped me overcome the depression that I was going through and any Mm -hmm. of the issues that that were that were there as a result of having been in the military, but it literally pushed my life into a place where everything changed my view of myself, my confidence level, my ability to feel joy again, Mm -hmm. my relationship with my parents, my relationship with my family my relationships in general with, you know, with, with my girlfriend now, I mean, it changed every aspect of my life because I, I learned so much about myself and and the insight that I was able to take away for, you know, from like, this is, this is how you function. And this is why here are the underlying kind of motivators, right? The Mm -hmm. unconscious drives that you have that you are now aware of. Yeah. It was the most powerful thing ever, man. So Yeah, there's there's a lot of lot of stigma. uh, And I think that's what made it really hard for me to overcome Mm -hmm. initially, like this, this idea of like, man, if I if I go to therapy, I'm weak, like, I I can't figure it out on my own. Like, I can't, Mm -hmm. I can't do this by myself. You know, what do you mean? No way. Mm -hmm. Is that uh, that kind of what led you to be a psychologist? Yeah, definitely. I think I wanted to be able to get out there and speak on 
not only my experience, but every opportunity I get. So I teach, I teach psychology at the college out here at St. Pete College. And it, any opportunity that I can get, any platform that I can get to talk about the stigma of mental health, I do it. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, one of the things that was really scary was, you know, I'd been through all this stuff. I'd gotten this help. And probably some years back, Adam, I don't know that I would have openly admitted to the struggles I went through. Mm-hmm. And so I remember being in front of this class one time and saying, my God, I'm, you know, I'm about to tell these people I, I have to do this, right? How am I going to talk about the stigma? And I can't, you know, I'm not even embracing my own challenges and difficulties and depression. Mm-hmm. You know, I had such, I had so much positive feedback and other people saying, God, yeah, you know, I've been struggling with that too. And, you know, all of this stuff. And so I've really, it's, it's helped me embrace my story. And it's helped me to get out there and talk to other people about, you know, we, we all struggle, especially if, if you, you know, especially a lot of the folks that I work with now who are, who are police, right? All these, these are all people that are trained to be tough and to believe that we're, we're heroes and that nothing should impact us or affect us mentally. Mm-hmm. And it's just not the case. Right. So so if I could use my story to get out there and say, hey, you know, I know what it's like. I've been there. I've gone through do it and this is what it looks like on the other side and i understand why you wouldn't want to sit down and talk to somebody i understand what you know i understand all of the, the the pressure that one might feel even the shame that one might feel about going and you know sitting down and talking mm-hmm. with a therapist so you know what i thought to myself is like if i can let people know that hey i've been there right so so i know what it's like it, it really opens up the space for, you know, for my clients to come in and talk to me because they know that, you know, I've been there, done that type mm-hmm. of thing and, and to help spread the word that way. So you think, I guess, sharing your story helps like other people open up a little more? Absolutely, man. It, mm-hmm. it, it you know, again, it was this, one of the scariest things mm-hmm. that I had to do because I think in, in some ways it was like the last, the last obstacle for me to really truly accept Mm. what I had been through and was going through, right? Mm. So I, I knew it had happened. I had gone through it. But to be able to speak to it mm-hmm. really puts it in your face, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like, like it makes it as real as possible. And so, yes, it was one of the scariest things I did, but one of the most amazing things I did because the, the feedback I would get from people, mm. like literally you would see just, you know, people relax and be like, and be able to come out and say, oh, wow, man, thank you for sharing that. Like I've actually been struggling with this too. Mm-hmm. Now, now you have an open dialogue. Now you have conversations now, you know, and then I can tell people, look, you know, it's possible for life to change. It's possible for life to feel good again. And here's how, and I can help you get there, or at least find someone that can help you get there. Okay. Uh, and so I guess switching gears a little bit, you work down in Tampa, your clinic's named what again? It's called Tampa Counseling and Wellness. How long have you had that? Uh, so not very long, actually, only about five months or so. Okay. I just, you know, I've been doing, I had been working for uh, the University of South Florida doing some therapy there with students and stuff. And then I decided to open up my own practice recently just, you know, to give myself a, a little bit of flexibility in terms of time and to be able to work with, you know, exactly the clients that I want to work with and mm-hmm. to kind of venture out and do some entrepreneurial work, too. Okay. Speaking of entrepreneurs, I saw a talk you've done that you also work with a bunch of entrepreneurs as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so one of the things this has probably been more more recent over the last year or so, but um, it, it's the same message that you and I are, are talking about now, right? Mm-hmm. And so, here are these entrepreneurs with this like mindset of of success and motivation, and nothing can touch me, mm-hmm. right? And so, it's just another population of people that this stigma is you know, is impacting, right? So we, we keep seeing like just what a couple of weeks ago, Kate Spade and, and Anthony Bourdain and, mm-hmm. you know, people in business, people in, you know, uh, movie stars and stuff like that. And, and we're shocked every time that this happens, right? Like, mm-hmm. how could that be? Like they had a lot of money or they were successful. And it's like, this doesn't, you know, depression and suicide doesn't discriminate. It doesn't care who you are and what you do. And so I saw that there was a lot, you know, in the last like four or five years, a lot of entrepreneurs, like tech entrepreneurs and just young folks like committing suicide. Um, And so I started doing some research into, you know, like, like the lifestyle of of an entrepreneur. And I started kind of interviewing a lot of different entrepreneurs. And I just kept hearing the same, you know, the same kind of verbiage, the same Mm -hmm. kind of mindset of like, you know, I, I have to be on my A game all the time. And right. So there's no. 
there's just no room for being depressed. There's no room for anxiety. There's no room to, you know, for anything but perfection. Just like military like that. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, you know what? This is another kind of really cool population to tap into and use these, you know, these principles and concepts that I've been that I've been teaching. Mm -hmm. I'm blanked out for a second. That's all right. Next question, I guess. Um, So, see, see, do you see? I know PTSD obviously isn't isn't like just the military. Sure. Do you see? I mean, I real so I never really realized more so that it was more into the all the, all the EMS and people past the military. I feel like from my particular background, all you do is see people. I don't. I'm not gonna say you only focus on people in the military, but that's yeah. my background, so that's all I think about. Yeah. Yeah. You see them. I didn't know it's quite as widespread in like the EMS community as like you're talking about. Yeah, I, I don't think that there has been as much of a spotlight on you know, firefighters, police, and, and EMS in terms of PTSD. Mm-hmm. There is starting to be, though. Mm-hmm. And again, I think firemen are, are really good about hiding it, right? Mm-hmm. So you know, I, I recently was talking to, you know, a guy that I worked with on the fire department way back that after, you know, 20-something years of service is when it hit him, right? Mm-hmm. So now he's, he's retired, and, and he's like, man, things are coming up for me, and, you know, I'm, I'm depressed all the time, and, you know, I've, I've, I've had thoughts of wanting to kill myself, and, like, so, you know, I see it. And, and so the, the constant exposure to trauma, you're going to tell me, you mm-hmm. know, seeing people dying, car accidents, fire, like, you're going to tell me, I don't care how resilient you are, that stuff's going to get to you, mm-hmm. right? And so... So we need to kind of focus the spotlight on, on you know, our EMS workers as well. Okay. I know when I first got out, one of, like, the big, big problems I had, a lot of my friends had, was suddenly you're missing this amazing support system, I guess, that, like, you, I mean, I personally took it completely for granted that if I didn't show up for three days, people would be knocking on my door, like, killing my phone. Right. And I imagine it's kind of the same thing in EMS. Yeah. Is that is that, like, a bit, like, one of the big things that, I mean add to this? I mean, kind of like a sense of loneliness because you're not yeah. suddenly surrounded by your friends and your family. Exactly. Absolutely. And, and so one of the things that, that tends to happen is, so I'll, I'll talk about that support, right? So when mm-hmm. you're in the military, again, I mean, you have your people, those are your mm-hmm. family and they're going to, you know, they're going to die for you. They're going to take care of you. Right. But, but once you get out, you know, yeah, you, you might stay in contact with a few of them, but you know, you end up maybe living in different States. And so mm-hmm. it, it changes. I think in the fire department, you know, if you're doing a, a full career, you're doing 20, 25 years. So, you know, you, you have that support and, and those people are there. So I think that's a little bit different. That's why the gentleman I told you, it was after he retired that things mm-hmm. started to feel pretty bad for him. But the other thing that contributes is part of one of the symptoms of depression is a tendency to isolate, right? Mm-hmm. So you, you, you feel ashamed that you're feeling depressed the amount of energy that it takes to be around people is just, you know, exhausting. You don't want people to see you that way. You start thinking, you know, you know what people are going to be thinking about you. And so, in essence, you start to isolate. You want to be by yourself. Just being around other people takes way too much energy. And so further isolating, you know, further isolating yourself from others and yeah, not having that support, man, that's, that's huge. That's one of the things that I, that I talk about when I get out there and, and, and give, you know, speeches is, is about the, just the vital importance of having peer support, mm-hmm. of having people in your life that, you know, you can rely on. And I think when you can get to that place where, you know, you have this, you know, you have a, a core group of people that you can trust and you can open up to about the fact that you're struggling you know, that's, that's the vital thing. You need to let people know like where you're at and what's going on with you. If you want them to be there to help you. Mm -hmm. Do you think uh, things like depression, like loneliness, uh, perceived lack of purpose and other things like that all add together to actually make PTSD worse? Absolutely, man. There's, there's, you know, I think you just hit on a bunch of real important factors. You know, it's, you know, one of the things I tell people who, you know, who maybe never had depression, depression. And I I kind of tie this in when I talk about suicide too, is I say, think about the the worst day that you've ever had. Think about the day where you have felt the saddest, most down because something horrible in your life happened. All right. And I want you to think what it would be like to live that day, day in and day out, feeling like it's never going to end. 
mm-hmm. feeling like you have no one to talk to or get support from, feeling helpless that like you can't get yourself out of that space. Mm-hmm. That's what it feels like to have depression, right? There's no contentment. There's no joy. You can buy yourself a new car and it, it, it doesn't change anything because you, mm-hmm. you just don't feel in a good place. So all of those things contribute, right? And, and I think one of the biggest things that contributes is shame. So literally sometimes I will sit down with a client and we will have to work just four sessions on them getting them, you know, getting them to acknowledge and admit I'm depressed. Mm-hmm. Because if they don't come to that conclusion, then every day they're out there saying, shit, why am I not feeling better? Why am I not feeling better? Why isn't this changing? Why, you know, why can't I get myself out of here? Because you're depressed. And here are the, you know, here are the symptoms of depression. And you have them, you know, if you had diabetes, you wouldn't think your way out of diabetes, right? You would Mm -hmm. take the medication, you would take care of yourself. So this is just a a mental health disease, right? So Mm -hmm. do the things that you need to do to to get yourself out of it. Um, But you wouldn't feel shameful about having cancer. You wouldn't feel Mm -hmm. shameful about having diabetes. But there's all this shame about being depressed or having anxiety. And I talk about Mm -hmm. depression, anxiety a lot because a lot of times they kind of, they coexist and and Mm -hmm. are hand in hand. But yeah, sometimes we have to work four or five sessions on just getting to them to acknowledge like, yeah, man, this, something's in the way. And, mm-hmm. and now that I can accept that, we can move forward on, on how, to, how to get you to feel better. Mm-hmm. I, and I assume it's a lot more powerful if they come to the realization on their own as opposed to like, yeah, it's a lot easier to see from the outside. Like, yes, you might be depressed. Once you might lead them to it and they, and they finally clicks for them, I imagine it's, it's a lot more powerful for them. You're absolutely right. I am... I've been doing this for about four or five years and I am still in awe every time I sit with a client and see how their ability to gain insight into and learn about themselves and just the massive power of that atom is is amazing when it finally clicks, Mm -hmm. like you said, and you can see it. I can sit there in the room and I see it on their face when it's like that wow Mm -hmm. moment. It's it's it will be more powerful than if I ever gave it to them, mm-hmm. right? And so here's here's this very interesting thing, uh, you know, and, and really cool thing about my work is, you know, you'll come in for your initial session and we'll sit down and talk and I'll gather history, I'll learn about your family and your job and your education and, and everything like that. And most times within the you know by the end of the first session, I have a pretty firm hypothesis of where your depression comes from, for mm-hmm. example where it started, how it's being maintained, but I can't tell you any of that. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, it's like, you know, it's like when you're doing something and a friend gives you advice, right? Like, what do we do with advice? <laughs> I like to think like, I think about it a little bit, but right, not so right. much. <laughs> right, and then we end up doing our own thing. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, they need to come, you're right, they, they need to come to it on their own. And again, it's such a powerful moment when, when people do, because it, it's like, it's theirs, like, you you, you can own that. You can mm-hmm. own that you got there on your own. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I've seen, I've seen you talk a little bit about gratitude on your Facebook and everything. For instance, I, I start and end my day with like a little little journaling, writing down some goals and find yeah. things I'm grateful for. Do you uh, recommend like a daily gratitude exercise kind of like that? Absolutely, man. You know, I, I used to, I remember hearing about gratitude and just kind of being like, oh, you know, whatever. Yeah, you know, I'm thankful for stuff. Um, but then I actually started looking at the research mm-hmm. while I was in grad school, like psychological research mm-hmm. on gratitude and, and, and the power that it has. And, and yeah, the reason I think it's so powerful is because we we live in this culture that's constantly bombarding us with messages of more and more and more, you know, earn more, have a bigger house, you know, all of this stuff. And it, it, it doesn't allow us to get into this mindset to appreciate what we have, mm-hmm. right? And, and when we start to lose sight of that, we can't feel contentment in our life, mm-hmm. right? And we're, we just keep chasing happiness that's never it, – it, it's, it's never going to be there because you don't appreciate what you have in that moment. So, yeah, what I like to do is always at the end of the day, I find three things that I was uh, grateful for that day. You know, you don't need to make it a daily thing. You can make mm-hmm. it a, a weekly thing and, you know, and, and start there. Uh, but, yeah, man, before I go to bed every night, I sit there and I think about, you know, like last night, my car's check engine light had come on. 
and I just replaced the AC like, you know, like six months ago and it cost me like a grand. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so I took it to advanced auto parts and they, you know, they plug in the little thing and they're like, no, nothing's wrong. It's probably just a sensor. And that was it. That was my gratitude. It's like, you know? Ooh. That was yeah. perfect. Like, now I don't have to spend a ton of money. Uh, yeah, man. So finding even the smallest of things to be like, you know, man, I, I got to eat dinner tonight. And, mm-hmm. and I know there's people out in the world that, that, that weren't able to tonight. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think it's so so powerful. You said you, you, you do this also, right? I do, yeah. I do a morning and nighttime gratitude journal. I love it, man. How's that working? Uh, I really enjoy it. I, like, I was in a really weird place probably like a year and a half ago. Yeah. And so I feel this has helped bring me out of it. And yeah. so, I mean, I feel like I'm in a better, a much better place now because of it. Because, awesome. I mean, I'm not, you're not looking so much for, like, outside uh, happiness or gratitude. It's more like internal. Right. right. Yeah, and I think keeping a journal is awesome, too, because you can always kind of go back and reflect mm-hmm. on other stuff that you've put in there in the past. Mm-hmm. And, and man, yeah, it's just like it's this, this feeling of appreciation that, that, you know, that comes over that's, that's pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. I, I felt like originally it was, I mean, I felt weird doing a journal. My, I'm yeah. sure my first my first couple <laughs> entries are kind of dumb. But, I mean, that, now I really enjoy it. It kind of, like, gets me in the mood for, like, starting the day and then, like, ending the day. Right, right, mm-hmm. right. Yeah, and ultimately, isn't that, you know, what it's for? It's mm-hmm. like, you know, to make you, to make you feel good, to make you mm-hmm. feel, you know, find that joy in life, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever way you want to do that, if, if you want to write it down, if, you know, you want to talk to somebody about it, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. You know, as long as you're you're capturing the you know the gratitude. Mm-hmm. Uh, what yeah. about like I also heard you talk about a little bit of mindfulness. Yeah. For anyone who hasn't heard about like the term or like maybe honestly just understand it, how yeah. how would you define mindfulness? Yeah. So mindfulness is again something that I actually did my my thesis in uh, grad school on on benefits of mindfulness meditation. So let me talk a little bit about mindfulness meditation. A lot of meditative practices focus on kind of clearing the mind. And what mindfulness meditation does is to get you to focus on all of the experiences that are happening for you in that moment. So one of the things that, you know, when we are too focused in on the past, that can give rise to some depression, right? Because, you, you, you know, we might be regretting stuff or, you're, you know, you're, you're spending time in the past if you're spending too much time in the future that's anxiety right there mm-hmm. right because you're wondering man how am i going to take on this challenge what if this happens what if that happens so mindfulness is all about bringing yourself into a very centered state of mind where you know you're just focused in on what is happening for you in that moment so one of the ways that i do the the meditation is you know i, I teach my clients this and we'll just sit in the office for 10 minutes and focus on the breath, right? Just focus on our breathing. It's, you know, obviously a little bit harder at the beginning, but mm-hmm. the more practice you do, the easier it becomes. Now thoughts are going to come into your mind, mm-hmm. right? And so instead of being hard on yourself and saying, man, I can't do this, you know, or you know, I can't figure this out. You just kind of let the thoughts come in and then you just kind of let them kind of float out. Mm-hmm. Now there's a formal meditative practice of mindfulness where, you know, you're kind of sitting down, in a quiet place and just kind of experiencing what's happening in your body. You're feeling a pain in the body. Are you feeling what kind of sensation are you feeling? What are you hearing in your environment? But there's also other ways of doing mindfulness that's informally. So there's a, this big thing. If you, if you look it up, you'll find so much uh, research on it on mindful eating. Right. So what do we do? We sit in front of the TV and we just scarf down food. Right. And, (laughs) And then we wonder why we're hungry. We didn't realize that we were even eating. Right. So mindfulness eating is about slowing down the process, mm-hmm. like enjoying the food, savoring the food, chewing the food, and just paying really close attention to all of the processes that it takes to actually chew food and eat it and swallow. And actually, mindful eating uh, has been linked to, to weight loss. They use it to, to help people um, lose weight, mm-hmm. um, to stop smoking, to you know all kinds of things like pain reduction. I mean, there's... Really? there's yeah, the, the research out there on mindfulness is it's it's just something really really powerful. It's been around for you know centuries, and we're just now starting to embrace the power of it in the you know in the in the field of psychology. Okay, I know uh, I heard the term for the first time uh, a little bit ago, PTSG. Mm-hmm. Uh, could you explain yeah. that a little more to me? Yeah, yeah. So this is something else. Again, this is all research that I, mm-hmm. I learned while in grad school in doing some research on PTSD. I found, I found this, this thing called P, P, you know, post-traumatic growth. 
mm-hmm. right? And so I was like, hey, you know, what's this? And so basically what it is is, you know, we found that a lot of veterans, uh, you know, combat vets were, were coming back and experiencing PTSD. But, you know, maybe – the same, you know, maybe one other person in their unit who had the same, the very same experience came back and wasn't experiencing PTSD. So they started to look into that, like what makes this person different? So that's where the research on resiliency came out, right? So like mm-hmm. what are the personality factors or what are the things that make a person more resilient to uh, traumatic events, right? But then they found this other group of folks. Uh, so, so some of them were getting PTSD and doing worse than, than when they came back. There was another group of folks that were just kind of maintaining, right? No, no really significant change. But there was other people who were actually, their lives had changed in a positive way as mm-hmm. a result of their traumatic event. And again, it doesn't just have to be combat. Maybe it was you know, like a, a sexual assault or you know, a really terrible accident or, or anything like that. And their relationships with people had changed. Their life had started to take on this kind of new, more significant, uh, you know, more meaning. They were able to find just more motivation. So actually having gone through a traumatic event allowed them to grow in these very, very like cool areas of their mm-hmm. life. And so they labeled that post-traumatic growth. And so what, you know, what, what psychologists are out there doing now is trying to figure out what are the individual factors that allow this to happen so that we can teach some of this so that we can use it, you know, with therapy so that we can help, you know, folks who have been through traumatic events to, uh, to turn their lives around as well. Have they, have they figured out many factors about that? that it- yeah, actually uh, quite a few. And, and one of them is gratitude, believe mm-hmm. it or not. Right. So, so these are people that have just learned how to, how to have, you know, how to just be more grateful for the, for, the fact that they're you know still alive or the fact that they have these relationships, you know, maybe things that they were kind of taking for granted before. Uh, another thing is uh, this, this idea of resiliency. So I think some people just have this capacity to, to shift their mindset around mm-hmm. negative events. And they've probably learned that, you know, many different ways. I think a, a lot of the things we learn, we learn like at, at home. Right. So, mm-hmm here's a perfect example, right? So, so you have this little kid, they're, they're running around outside and they scrape their knee, right? So do you run and, and save them? And, oh, you poor little thing. And let me come in and let me bandage you. Right. Which is great. Your, your kids, you know, you want them to know that you're there for them mm-hmm. or do you let them like struggle a little bit? Right. Mm-hmm. Or, or when they're feeling upset or mad, do you tell them, you know, we don't, we don't do that here in the house or, you know, you're not supposed to feel that way. Or do you let them work through those those mm-hmm. bad emotions, work through some of the challenges, right? Like that develops this ability to know that no matter what trouble comes your way, that you have practice and now a capacity to deal with with difficult life situations, mm-hmm. right? Okay. So I think that upbringing also plays a big role. I'm actually in the point of my life where like age-wise, a lot of my friends are having children. Is there something like yeah. we can kind of teach our kids to go with that, like while they're growing to kind of... Um, and still a resiliency beforehand because I mean, realistically, everyone's going to go through hard times in their life. It may, there's no, there's no doubt about it. Is there a way to, to actually, like, actual steps to actually teach them beforehand? Yeah, I, I think you know one of the things I say is if you let a child like give them the space to grow up without messing them up too much, <laughs> they're going to grow up to be amazing, amazing mm-hmm. people, right? You know, th- there are some really great parents out there. But I think sometimes either we, you know, the helicopter parent, right? So, so, so focused in on making sure that their child doesn't experience anything bad, mm-hmm. right? And so, so how are you building confidence in, in this child's ability to, to handle difficult situations, right? Mm-hmm. To handle a breakup, to handle uh, friends leaving, to handle, you know, anything, uh, being fired from a job, right? You're not. You're literally you know, robbing them of that opportunity to what I call to self heal, right. To self care. Mm -hmm. And, or, you know, you you just let your child fully, you're, you're not there enough. Right. And Mm -hmm. and they they don't feel like they have any support. So the impression that they get about the world is like the world is dangerous and no one's ever, no one's ever going to be there to support me. So I can't trust anyone. Right. Mm -hmm. So I have to always be vigilant that that something horrible is going to happen to me. So I think kids just need, you know, to know that you're there for them and that you're going to support them, that it's okay for them to get upset, that it's okay for them to make mistakes, mm-hmm. that that's part of being a child, and to know that they're supported, right? And to know that no matter what they do, 
that you're going to still love them, that you're still going to be there for them, they will flourish. They will flourish mentally, physically, and that in and of itself, like, will build resilience Mm -hmm. in in and of itself. Okay. I feel like a lot of, I feel like it's a real fine line sometimes between over, over care and under care. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So finding that, that sweet spot in the middle is, is pivotal. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I know we all kind of like know about the number, like the suicide number put out by the VA. And I know people don't get help for like a vast number of reasons, like from VA problems to like treatment problems. But I know we talked about earlier, one of the biggest things we, we face, I guess, is a, a big stigma associated with anything mental health, suicide or anything in the military. Cause I know I know it's kind of, it's ridiculous. I mean, it's real. Suddenly after training, living and fighting with like friends, be their brothers or sisters, whatever they are, it's kind of terrifying to, uh, to think about suddenly like, oh, they think I'm not, I can't do my job or like they can't trust me. Right. We all know the military is working to change it. They know it's yeah. a problem, yeah. but how would we suggest kind of helping to like end the stigma for it? Besides yeah. like just like getting it out in our communities and telling, I mean, talking about it? Yeah. You know, I, I went to an event yesterday where it was for um, veteran entrepreneurs, right? Mm-hmm. And I had the opportunity to meet some really amazing people in the community that are doing, you know, not just people in mental health, just in general, that are doing some really amazing things. Like, like you know, the more I'm getting out there, the more I'm real- realizing, like, how many um, programs are actually out there to support veterans. And I, I love it. It's, it, it's, mm-hmm. it's an absolute joy to, to know that that's happening. I think it's 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 an uphill fight, uh, and and I'll tell you why. Um, even if we we remove the the military aspect of it, let's just look at the stigma of mental health in general, mm-hmm. right? One of the last uh, pieces of data that I saw is that the average person waits about uh, it's it's almost seven years before seeking treatment after the initial time that they have a symptom of mental health. Really? Seven years. Yes. Is it is this after? I know the first time they might not realize it themselves, like that it's a symptom. Uh, is this right. after like the first time they might they like think, oh, this might be a problem? Or yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. and that's I mean that's 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 insane. That's an insane number, mm-hmm. right? But it, it 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 comes about because of this idea that we should be able to make ourselves feel better. Mm-hmm. I should be able to get out of this depression. I should be able to make myself feel happy again. Mm-hmm. You know, definitely our culture does does not do any you know any service to to these people that are suffering because what I hear and it, man, it makes me sad. Like literally, I sit in my office and I get sad when I hear the things that family and friends. These are the people that are supposed to love you, right? The things that family and friends say to someone when they finally open up to say, "Hey, I'm struggling." Mm-hmm. I mean, I hear things like, oh, you just need to think better or, you know, you just need to think more positively or, you know, you just need to get out of bed and go to the gym and get out there. This will pass. You know, maybe you just need to go to church. Like all of this, like really basically what they're saying to that person is like, oh, you're fine. There's nothing wrong. Mm-hmm. Right. And really making them feel more ashamed of, of ever seeking help. So we don't do a very good job of supporting the people we love when they come to us and tell us that they're struggling. Right. Mm -hmm. Instead of just kind of listening and saying, wow, you know, I can't I can't imagine what that must be like. Let's see if we can get you some help or shit. If I can just sit here and listen to you, you know, uh, today and any other time you need me, you know, I'm here. Call me at three in the morning if you're feeling depressed. It's fine. Instead of giving that support, we're giving these really crappy messages of like, uh, you know, it's it's fine or go see a psychiatrist and it'll get better Mm -hmm. or, you know, these fast solutions. So this is happening just in general with with people, the the, the regular population. Now we, you know, uh, infuse all of these other factors of being in the military. So sometimes when you're still in, forget about the, 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 you know, the the men and women that get out. But what are the what about the ones that are still in where this Mm -hmm. can cause them their job? It could cause them, you know, the the position that they are in, in, you know, and and so, you know, that's creating this this kind of environment where. There's a, there are consequences if I if I say that there's anything going on with me, mm-hmm. right? So that's a piece of it. And then this this mindset, this I'm a hero mindset. Nothing can touch me. I'm Superman, Superwoman type mm-hmm. mindset. That is, you know, I mean, it's ingrained in us, right? As military <laughs> folks, mm-hmm. right? Like that's, that's that's the whole purpose. 
that that makes it a, a real challenge. And then the, you know the VA really doesn't make it any easier. You know, I know guys that were trying to, to get to talk to a therapist and, you know, it would be two months before they can get in and then, you know, would see them once and not be able to do like weekly sessions or, mm-hmm. or whatever it was just because the resources weren't there. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I think the, the, the best way that we can is what you and I are doing right now, having these conversations, letting people know, you know, being candid about, this thing exists and we can keep ignoring it if we want, but that's not going to help our situation at all because people are going to keep, you know, you know, killing themselves and, and, and suffering. But, but let's get out there and have some, some discussion. So, you know, one of the things that, that you know, I'm, I'm kind of looking to do is to start doing a lot more blogging and, and putting, mm-hmm. you know, articles out there about, you know, not just the fact that this is a problem, but like what we can do to, to, to get people to feel better. And, and not feel so so damn ashamed to say, hey, here's this thing. I'm having a hard time. Um, I think if we can pull the shame out of it, man, we we will we'll have people you know knocking down my door to want to come in and, and, and talk. Ultimately, that you know that's that's what I want, whether my door or any counselor's door or a friend's or, or anyone. But let's just talk about it because mm-hmm. as long as people are holding this stuff inside, they're suffering in silence, and, and that you know that again, that just makes me sad, sad to see. You know, no, absolutely. It makes sense when you talk about shame a little bit because pride's a big thing in the military from like not dropping out of a run to yeah, doing pretty yeah. much to like to learn to learning your job. And I know one of the big things is like that that can really like cut into it the moment someone starts thinking, oh, maybe he can't, maybe he can't do his job. Maybe I need a new medic. And that yeah. makes a lot of sense when you think about it that way. Yeah, yeah, and even in, you know, even in, in you're absolutely right, and, and in the workplace, mm-hmm. and like you know, people are gonna question like you know. Is this somebody I'm going to be able to rely on? And mm-hmm. yeah, man, there's there's so many things. You know, it's funny as you're telling me that I, I was actually working with a, a vet yesterday, a female vet, and out. I mean, she was outstanding in the military. I mean, mm-hmm. meritorious promotion after meritorious promotion. I mean, she, you know, she was a badass. And part of the shame that she has now that she's out, um, you know, and dealing with her depression is like. I just can't, I, you know, I get pissed off at myself because everything in my life I've been, been able to be kick ass at and mm-hmm. I can't, I can't do anything about this mm-hmm. and she's fighting it. Right. So we've spent a couple sessions like you keep fighting this. You're more than welcome to, and I'm, and I'm going to be here for you as long as you want to do this. But if you think for one minute that all the skills and bad ass stuff that, you know, all the skills that you had that allowed you to do all that stuff mm-hmm. is going to help you overcome your depression. I said, you're wrong. It's, it's not going to. This is a different process. This is a different game that we're dealing with here, mm-hmm. right? You can't outrun this. You can't, you know, outthink it. Mm-hmm. Like, it's serious and we need to, we need to, you know, face it head on. Mm-hmm. So you kind of got to give yourself a break a little bit. Give yourself a break, right? And, and it's, it, it's funny because, I, you know, within the first session or two, I, I tell someone that, like, you need to stop being so damn hard on yourself, mm-hmm. right? But, but we're, not good at, we're not good at that. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely not. I feel like, especially, like, in the middle, any, any kind of, like, high-performing job kind of pushes right. you. I mean, it's one of the things that kind of pushes you to be better, I guess. Yeah. Is yeah. to excel and, like, I mean, to, like, enjoy excelling. Yeah, and so what I try, you know, what I say is that part of what makes you – these things that made you achieve so much mm-hmm. were, were really, really positive. But that mm-hmm. mindset also is not going to help you get out of the depression. So once we get you past this depression, those traits and those characteristics, again, are going to help you achieve and, and be awesome again once we get over this hurdle. Mm-hmm. The other thing, Adam, too, is that a lot of the times the work that I do isn't about – in essence, there's this sense of perfectionism and wanting to achieve – because if we achieve, we can feel better about ourselves, mm-hmm. right? We can feel more motivated. That means something good about me. It also means that if we're not achieving, then we feel inferior or we feel not good enough. So the work that I do with my clients is around this idea of where did you learn that if you weren't getting straight A's or have the getting promoted every year or that you were at the top of your class, where did you learn that if that wasn't the case, that meant you were a failure? Mm-hmm. Right. And so, so this is kind of what it you know, feeds into, there's this large whole uh, belief in me that says I'm not enough. And no matter how much money I make, no matter how successful I am in my career, no matter how many amazing people I have around my life, 
inside, in my core, this idea of I'm not good enough will still be there. Mm -hmm. So that kind of goes back to what we were talking about, finding meaning and happiness from inside. Right, right. And the second that you do that, you no longer are going out there achieving to feel better. You're going out there and doing it because it inspires you, because you find value in it, Mm -hmm. right? And so that that's motivation, right? To, to work from a very different place, to, to work from a place of abundance versus working from a place where you feel like it's just not enough. It's not good enough. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, we're kind of closing in on time right now. Real quick, do you think, what are some things people should be able to look for as red flags for someone who might, might be thinking of, well, you used to think committing, but I was listening to a podcast that says a lot of people have a, a negative viewpoint of the word committing, but com- uh, completing suicide. Completing suicide, yeah. Um, I think that the first thing that, that you'll start to see is is someone kind of like just not only acting more down, but just kind mm-hmm. of withdrawing. I, th- I mm-hmm. think when, when people start to withdraw, they're just not acting like themselves. That's, that's usually a, a pretty huge sign. You know, losing your job or, or you know, kind of breaking up, you know, in a relationship and, and, and different things. I think that the biggest one, though, is when you start to see people with withdrawal from their friendships, from their family. They just mm-hmm. want to be alone more. That's that's a huge, huge sign there. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes the, the way that they talk will, will kind of, you know, like this kind of this idea of like, I don't want to do this anymore. You know, I, I just, you know, some days I just don't want to wake up. Like, you know, it can start something like that. And then it, it can continue to, to get worse. Like, you know, they might start actually thinking about ways that they would, they would, you know, go through with it and, and maybe even developing a plan. And mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of steps that occur in between from the time that a person feels so depressed that the idea of suicide is a possibility mm-hmm. um, to the time that they do it. And I think that's a good thing because it gives us the opportunity to step in mm-hmm. and to help them and to get them support. Okay. Right. Rarely does it happen that, you know, today I get depressed and, you know, I, I, I you know, go through with suicide tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Right. There's there's it's it's kind of this process that kind of develops over time. And so, you know, I think just keeping an eye on, on our family and, and our friends and being able to, you know, I think a lot of times we're like, well, maybe I shouldn't say anything. Right. Or, or maybe, you know, they're feeling bad. I don't want to make them feel any worse. But but no, stepping in and saying, hey, what's going on, mm-hmm. right? Like let's let's just talk. And and I think if you feel that it's serious enough to step in, you know, I've I've had uh, I've seen this happen before. But people that that lost a, a friendship because you know the, the person admitted that they they wanted to go through with suicide, and the person called you know uh, and had them hospitalized. Um, they were super super angry about that, right? Because you were betrayed. But ultimately, that person's still living, right? Mm-hmm. And so, I don't think we need to let it get to that point. But you know, if, if you start to see someone in your life that's just that, that's withdrawing, that's just not themselves anymore, step in, ask some questions, you know, get some support, just you know, a, a, an ear to you know, just have, just listen. And I think that's what we need to do. We really need to, you know, maybe just be a little, little bit more nosy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ask people questions and, mm-hmm. and get in their face if you have to. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? No, I know they. I know they teach you one of the big things to ask. That feels super weird asking, but it's like, do you have a plan? Right. And just right. like little things to kind of make it more real to them. Yeah, yeah. So one of the kind of the ways that I look at it and that I assess for it is first I ask, have you ever had a thought about wanting to kill yourself? Mm-hmm. And I even I even kind of give examples. I said, you know. Maybe the thought is not, hey, I want to kill myself tomorrow. Maybe it's something as simple as like, you know what, if I didn't wake up tomorrow, that that's kind of thinking about suicide. That's mm-hmm. that's you know, those are thoughts that happen. Like I wish I I wish I my car would go off the road or right. And so obviously the the further along it gets, then it gets to this place of like I've now I've I've researched, I've made a plan about how I would do it, mm-hmm. and then we have actual intent to want to do it. And then we have where actually someone makes an attempt and, and, you know, or they don't go through with it. So, yeah, again, we have all of all of this kind of space in between for us to, to be able to, to do something. But definitely if someone has a plan, they're a little bit further along down that road and, and it starts to feel a little bit more serious. Okay. Yeah. 
like I said, we're about to about to wrap up. But uh, in case someone is in a, around the Tampa area, how would they get in touch with you if they want? If yeah, they want definitely. It? So they can go to my website, which is www.tampacounselingandwellness.com, mm-hmm. or you know, anyone anyone that's out there. You know, I, I never have a problem giving my personal number, which is eight one three. Six four four one seven nine one. If you just want to call and chat, if if you feel like you know things are not going well, if you're feeling suicidal, whatever it is, I don't care what time of the day it is. It can be four in the morning, it can be three in the morning. You call me, and, and we're going to talk, and we're going to try to find you support in, in some way, in whatever way I can. So yeah, that's how that's how I can be found. Right, well, fantastic. To finish up, I just want to say thank you for your your dedication, your commitment to helping uh, veterans and everyone else throughout. EMS, everyone, anyone it might be throughout the country. And I'm sure it's tough work, but I know like real estate is dearly needed. Uh, also, thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it for sh- sharing some insight and some wisdom with our listeners. Please don't hesitate to reach out if you ever need anything from us. And I hope to have you on at a later date as well. Maybe a cut. Yeah, I would love that. Mm-hmm. That'd be great. Thank right. you for all the kind words, Adam. Thank you for having me on. Uh, this this is awesome, man. Any any time that you know we can we can chat about anything, I'm all about it. All right. uh, my last question, finally, if you could only give three pieces of advice to someone who's like struggling, what would they be? Yeah, lose the shame. Stop feeling bad about what you're going through because so many people go through it. Reach out to somebody and know that life can be different. It does get better. It can feel better, and you can get yourself out of the place that you are for sure. All right. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Thanks, sir. All right. It's great talking to you. Yeah. Hope you have a great appreciate day. Bye. You too, buddy. Bye. Thanks for listening to One's Too Many. If you like what you've just heard or you think it would benefit someone you know, share this episode and pass on our web address, onestoomany.com, to someone you believe might need it. And please leave us a positive review on iTunes so we can continue to spread our message. Be sure to check out our website for previous podcasts and check us out on Facebook at onestoomany and Instagram at onestoomany underscore official. This has been Adam Salters. And remember, you matter. You've got this and you're not alone. Thank you.